Hi guys, welcome to Jules and Phoebe, the bi-weekly pop culture and social commentary podcast brought to you by yours truly, Jules and Phoebe. Hey Phoebe. Hey Jules, happy Monday. How are you doing? I'm good. I had my first social weekend in a long time this weekend. It didn't go quite according to plan. I had tickets booked for a gig on Sunday in the Barbican. So I went with a friend. I used to go to gigs all the time on my own when I was in my early 20s. And it's obviously been a while since I've done that. So I was like, okay, now I'm going to bring a friend, even though she's not uh, particularly into this artist. Anyway, I got so confused. It's a guy called Nova Moore. He's a Welsh musician. And I booked the tickets for the 23rd of May. Like I'm at the Barbican. I'm trying to get into the concert hall. They're like, oh, I'm really sorry, ma'am. There's like, we're getting an error message here. And I was like, no worries. Like, you know, when you're getting a bit sweaty, like, oh my God, I think I've done something wrong here. And then I was like, looking at it, I was like, today is the 23rd of May. Then I looked closer and it said Monday, the 23rd of May. So I was like, mm, that's not great. I'm like zooming in. It says 2022 on it. So they, this guy now has called over his colleague. They're on like the main system. He's typing into his laptop. And I have to be like, uh, no, don't worry about it, actually. And he was like, oh, are you sure? Uh, is it on a different floor? And I was like, it's um, it's it's actually for next year. And he just like burst out laughing, which... <laughs> made it so much easier I was like this is absolutely mortifying I'm so sorry and he was like no thank you for being so like chilled about it I was like imagine if I had come to this thing on my own like yeah. or if you had traveled really far because a lot of people travel from other cities to go to events at the Barbican that's really funny though and then the thing is I was like because I've been predominantly at home like I've been very very limited in my social interaction like really haven't done very much my husband was like, he was sending me off to my first day at school when I was young. <laughs> he was like, you're going to have a really good time tonight. Like, have a glass of wine with Megan. Just really enjoy it. Then I had to be like, hey, we'll actually be home sooner than I expected. I am 365 days early for this particular concert. So I'm easing myself in to doing things, having yeah. a calendar. Yeah. <laughs> but how about you? Yeah, so I'm good. So yeah, I've actually started like seeing people. I'm not doing anything inside until I've had my second vaccine, Mm -hmm. especially with the Indian variant. It's like, I don't know if they're fear mongering or what, but I think that, you know what, let me get my second jab and then I can ramp it up Mm -hmm. um, socially. And so yeah, it's been quite chilled out. And I think because the weather has not been great. So I've been taking it easy, but it's meant to get a lot better from this week onwards. And I tell you what, we deserve it. (laughs) Yeah. I feel like this holds true for wherever you guys are listening from, because I know we have a lot of listeners in the UK, but aside from those of you who tend to listen from like south of Europe, and it's like, actually in Portugal, things are pretty good right now. The weather has just been so grim. And when you think about this time last year, it was so hot. It made everything a lot more bearable. Yeah, exactly. When the weather was good, whereas it's just perpetually like pouring with rain now so yeah it's been like cold and windy and wet but from this week onwards it's around 20 degrees so I'm just hoping that that stays or it gets warmer and it doesn't mm-hmm. go down but yeah everything's all good on my end I think one of the things we wanted to discuss today and it's like it's such a challenging topic to discuss and so you know we do apologize if anyone finds it triggering you know we, we think it's important for us to have a chat about the Israel and Palestine situation that's going on. I think it's very 
it's a difficult one because any discussion around Israel and Palestine that results in people criticizing Israel in any way leads to automatic cancellation, <laughs> deletion. This is going to be the last episode of the Jules with Phoebe podcast. Yeah. Because we're cancelled after this. Yeah, um, we're going to be cancelled because you know we talk a lot about social justice issues, and so given that that's our stand on most things it would be kind of unnatural for us to support an apartheid state in the most simplistic terms like that would be it and obviously the most recent spate of violence has kind of there's been an uptick in recent weeks and we hadn't said anything about it we're obviously moving to a fortnightly podcast or back to a fortnightly podcast and so sometimes it's like where are you in the news cycle when we sit down to record this? But as you said, like we speak a lot about social justice issues and things that are taking place globally. And it kind of feels like it would be inauthentic of us to avoid this topic just because it is a controversial one. And just because, you know, the threat of cancel culture is a very real thing. And I think that while we're addressing it explicitly in this instance, there are plenty of people who are thinking, I don't want to touch this particular topic. I'm not, maybe I'm not informed enough about it to be able to speak out about it explicitly. Or am I scared that someone is going to immediately throw a label at me after I speak about this that is going to, you know, maybe hang over my head? Yeah, exactly. I think that the biggest challenge or one of the challenges with this specific topic is that you know, if you do say that you're against apartheid, you're against colonialism, you're against oppression, apparently that has become synonymous with anti-Semitism. And I think it's important for me to share that those are two completely different things. So you do have, there is a movement in, in the US, there are a bunch of Jewish Americans who say that they don't support Israel's apartheid state. They don't support the dehumanization of Palestinians, right? And they're Jewish. They're not anti-Semitic. Mm-hmm. I think one thing that is so baked into, I was going to say baked into the culture, but maybe just baked into the societal norms at this point, specifically in the case of the Israel-Palestine conflict, is that we have been fed this narrative where it's like, well, it's much more complicated than that. And I've spent most of my life thinking it just must be more complicated than I could possibly understand because nobody ever wants to talk about it and nobody ever seems comfortable in coming out with like explicit condemnation. And so to be clear, you know, personally in the reading and the learning that I've done, I explicitly condemn what is happening to Palestine and what is happening to Palestinian people. But because that rhetoric of it's really complicated, it's, you know, it's a really sticky topic, people are then encouraged to not speak about it because the threat of cancel culture looms. It's ever present. And people have been encouraged and praised for not knowing what's going on. Yeah. And, you know, for me, it's really simple. This is all about power. Mm -hmm. You know, and that's why Arab states don't get involved, because Israel is really powerful. That's why the US continues to give billions to the to Israeli military aid. Israel has all the power and everybody wants powerful friends. Mm -hmm. And so that's why it's not a war. You know, it's not a war between like the UK and France where they have like almost equal military power. This isn't what's going on. It really is just a genocide. And 
Yeah, it's really, really horrific. And so that's why I also give a lot of credit to Gigi Hadid, Dua Lipa, people that are using their platforms to speak up, irrespective of all the hate that's coming their way. Yeah, absolutely. And the thing is, in the case of the Hadid sisters, like their father is Palestinian. And you think about what it must be like to not be able to have that relationship with your motherland. And I've seen people tweeting, Palestinians tweeting, you know, I've held off on saying anything on social media because I really hoped that I would just get to go home one last time. And you think about the, like, what kind of Orwellian system are we living in where you have to monitor your social media kind of engagement almost. You mustn't talk about being a Palestinian or supporting your homeland because then if you try to travel home someone is going to trawl through your social media and see oh well you're pro-palestine so i'm afraid you absolutely can't come in for people who are maybe listening who are like no actually i genuinely don't know very much about it like i will say that there are a lot of incredible resources that make things super easy and digestible there's a lot on social media but obviously you should always be verifying what you're reading on social media. One book that I really enjoyed that I thought was really interesting was My Promised Land, which was by a guy called Ari Shavit, and or which is by someone called Ari Shavit. And I found that very insightful and quite like factual. Basically it's an, it's anecdotal in nature, but actually the information that it presents is like quite inarguable. I think as well possibly from a colonization perspective, like Ireland is very pro-Palestine. A lot of protests have been taking place in Ireland. So I feel in some ways I had a more simplified view because even though I was maybe reluctant to talk about it, I was more reluctant to talk about it in the UK because I didn't really know how people felt about that. And I remember broaching the topic with people, you know, over the past 10 years or so when I've been back in London. And I remember someone saying to me, oh, we probably shouldn't continue this conversation because I don't imagine that you and I feel the same way. And I was thinking like, okay, well, I don't know what that means because who do you think I am in this situation versus who do you think you are? Because in my opinion, I hope that I would never give the impression that I would be pro-apartheid or pro-genocide, which is what's happening to Palestine right now. But the idea that you could broach that topic that someone would be like, listen, I know that we're on different pages here. It's a jarring one because we're watching the decimation of a culture and we're watching the decimation of a country in real time. And I think a lot of us probably feel quite powerless. Yeah, I think we do feel powerless. And so in the grand scheme of things, like maybe we are powerless, but there are a bunch of grassroots movements, right? You know, centered around where are you investing your money? Are you giving your money to companies that are funding Israel? And so there are different ways for you to contribute and make a difference. But I think because of the Jewish Holocaust, that's so recent, right? The, mm-hmm. you know, 1930s, 1940s, this is like modern history. You know, I think that having that as the background to all of this is probably what makes it such a sensitive topic. But we're in a situation where, you know, people look at the Rwandan genocide and we still even look at the Holocaust and we say, oh, my gosh, you know, how could it get this far? And it's like this is a roadmap of really how it gets this far and also how it continues. We look at South Africa. Oh, my gosh. You know, how could that go on until 1994? Yeah, we are living examples of how that could have gone on 
for, yeah. for so long. Um, and one of the people that I look to on this topic is Dr. Norman Finkelstein. And he's a former Princeton professor. You know, his speciality is Israeli and Palestinian relationships and politics. And he is Jewish. And he basically lost his tenureship because he was taking a stand against the Israeli government and received so much hate, so much hate, so much hate from people. And there's a really powerful video on YouTube where he's being confronted. And, you know, he says, you know, I don't like playing the Holocaust card, but all of my family were wiped out during the Holocaust on both sides. Mm -hmm. And that's why I'm not going to be silent over what's happening in Palestine. You know, because I've seen it, because my family have been exterminated. That's why I'm not going to abide by what's going on in Palestine. And the fact that somebody who somebody can lose their tenureship mm -hmm. over taking a stand against what's happening in Palestine and that a Jewish person can be called an anti-Semite shows you why people don't want to discuss this topic. 100%, I couldn't agree more. And I think that the, the problem is that then Dr. Finkelstein, he then has to constantly be wearing this kind of shield of, yes, well, by the way, like I lost family members, as opposed to his critique of what's happening in Palestine to Palestinians having merit all on its own. He is being forced to almost weaponize his loss and his family's loss. Yeah, because everybody's weaponizing mm -hmm. this. And so it's very difficult that you can't have an objective conversation around him and you know we said before in this podcast and actually it's it's something that I'm kind of thinking about more as as we're recording this episode today but that sometimes people care more about being called racist than they care about behaving racistly and in the context of Israel and Palestine what people are afraid of is being called an anti-semite because that label gets thrown out immediately I feel like we should be able to have some kind of perspective here. What's happening in Palestine is fundamentally wrong. And it's quite literally an ethnic cleansing. And if you care enough to do the kind of the legwork on that, that term ethnic cleansing originated, I think, in the 90s in the context of the Yugoslavian war. And it was a conscious, it was terminology used. We are deliberately ethnic cleansing. And that is what's happening. It, it's unfathomable to me that we can talk about colonization. And you and I talk about colonization as a scourge a lot. I talk about it in the context of Ireland. Ireland is barely 100 years old. And the work that's had to go into reworking our constitution, even in that short period of time, because of colonization and because of the, the scars that run so deep, and where religion then gets entrenched in colonization, everything like that. Why is it that we can talk about that so easily when it's, okay, well, the UK is objectively the bad guys, or Belgium is objectively the bad guy, France, Spain, Portugal, whoever. What Israel is doing is wrong. Yeah, but I think, you know, like we said, it's really because of the Jewish Holocaust Mm -hmm. That makes it so difficult because the UK was never colonised, right? The UK has always yeah. been the coloniser. The UK was never brutalised in the way that it brutalised Ireland. So it's so easy to objectively point the finger in the UK and just be like, you, you guys suck, right? But I think because of everything that we know that's happened to Jewish people and Jewish people have been targeted 
have been exterminated because of everything that we know I think that's what makes it such a difficult conversation. I agree with what you're saying the shadow of World War II looms so large and the atrocities that were committed against the Jewish people in World War II like that's a stain that cannot be wiped out you know it has to be acknowledged it has to be spoken about and Europe allowed it US allowed it and that's why there's so much guilt mm-hmm. right? and I think that's also why they uphold Israel yeah but, and you can understand that there is a desire to to have a homeland that is safe that is sacred but also you should be able to separate out the ultra Zionist movement from like quote unquote normal Jewish people who do not necessarily immediately support what is happening. I think it's also difficult but important to separate religion from this as much as possible, which sounds flippant and I don't mean it to, but I mean it in the sense of if you talk about Israelis and Palestinians, what a lot of the media will have led you to believe is that you're talking about Jewish people versus Muslims. And that's not always the case. And there's been a lot of stuff that I've been seeing and reading where it's been Palestinian Christians saying, to be clear, they're not treating us any better than they're treating the the Palestinian Muslims. So this isn't a sectarian violence. It may be grounded in that and it may be grounded in Jewish people's desire to create a homeland or have a, a safe homeland. But what this comes down to is xenophobia and you know, the violence is, is raw. It doesn't stay within neat lines. Yeah. People are becoming more... Um, it's like when people say that because of Trump, you know, all these right-wingers were empowered to sort of get out there and attack people and obviously had the rise of, you know, anti-Asian violence, right? Something has happened where it's like people are more entitled and empowered to actually act on these xenophobic thoughts. Yeah, and people are encouraged to reinforce the echo chambers and like lord knows as i'm saying that i'm sure i do the same thing and i do it just on my end of the political spectrum and that's not great either i should try and be a little less echo bubble centric um or echo chamber centric but you know hamas is always the thing that's trotted out to be like well this is why you aren't authorized to speak on israel palestine this is why you couldn't possibly know enough because what about hamas and Hamas are not good. Like, we can acknowledge that they are terrorists, but what they are are a small rebel group trying to come up against the IDF. And I just think, like, that's not to justify any loss or trivialize any loss of human life. But if you cannot cognitively note the difference between a rebel group, a small rebel group, and literally a governmental institution that has a 20 billion annual budgetary allocation to it 20 billion for a country that is smaller than ireland we spend 780 million in ireland (laughs) (laughs) well that's why you know ireland don't have the one of the most sophisticated military forces out there do they No, people don't realise. I think they just don't realise like Israel is killing it. Like they are at the forefront of AI. They're at the forefront of cybersecurity. Their military is absolutely on fire. It's one of the most sophisticated armies in the world. And well done to them. You know, I don't have any issues with that. I just 
unfortunately don't see a path forward like on this topic and it, it you do feel really really powerless and I think the least I can do is just really make it clear on what my position is I don't support this and I think that because it's so bad now like this is the the, the default position is to basically support the Israeli state and that actually means to justify what's happening in Palestine right and so yeah, I don't know. I don't know what else to really add on it. No, I well, I think you summed it up perfectly there. Like it, it isn't, uh, it's obviously not a straightforward discussion. You can understand why people are reticent to get into it. But I completely agree with you. I, I don't want my lack of explicit statement to be interpreted as a lack of condemnation because I don't support what's happening. And, you know, you make an interesting point. Israel is like the VC, the venture capital capital. <laughs> of the world and a lot of studies show that places that experience political turmoil tend to have greater uptick of venture capital activity because the inhabitants are less risk averse because of the climate that they live in basically and that's a really nice little like bullet point that's a nice statement and I've no doubt that it's rooted in truth But then you think about Palestine not even being given the opportunity to have social infrastructure. Well, not even the opportunity to be recognised as a state. Exactly. Yeah, I I don't want it to be assumed that I condone what's going on. I think that most people should be able to... We're not in the habit of coming up with the actual fix for a lot of the the topics that we discuss. Yeah, because we can't. That would be... It would be farcical for me to sit here and be like, here are my thoughts on the two-state solution. Like... Because someone would be like, well, what do you know? And they would be entitled to say, so listen, I'm a relationship manager in fintech. <laughs> I don't, this isn't my wheelhouse. But I do know that it's wrong what's happening. And I think that while it's understandable that people are scared to say the wrong thing, utilize the tools that are at your disposal because there is plenty of reading to be done on this. And the support of Israel as a colonialist apartheid state is just simply not the right answer. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Completely agree. One of the other things I don't condone and not to trivialize things and just go off into banter land, but one of the things I don't condone is Prince William's BBC speeches. Well, no, you know what? I think that that ties actually quite well with what we're talking about because so much of the time, mainstream media dictate what our narrative is on these kind of topics and it's really interesting to me so when you're talking about Prince William and the BBC report took place the Dyson report took place this week looking at Princess Diana's what is it 1995 interview or something like that with Martin Bashir on the BBC there have been rumors for a long time that the reason that Princess Diana did this interview is because Martin Bashir had like falsified documents to make her think that, you know, she was being watched, that people in the palace were selling her information on. And so she did this to get her side of the story out. The Dyson report has found that it is true, at least, that Bashir did falsify documents about Earl Spencer, Princess Diana's brother. So I'll hand back to you. Yeah, so basically it's come out that he did falsify these documents. Super interesting that they're doing this report now. Not really sure what's going on. 
yes, that's wrong. I don't justify that. I don't support that. But it doesn't change anything that was said in that interview in terms of her being open about how she was treated, how she was feeling. And it doesn't change everything that's happened going forward, right, with the tragic loss of Princess Diana's life. And so was there a statement, like a joint statement between Prince William and Prince Harry on this topic? I don't believe there was. And I could be wrong in saying this. Because they I'm keep saying, oh, Prince William and Prince Harry. I've only seen Prince William getting up there and trying to make a speech um, on this topic. And Prince William released a written statement as well. But and everyone who, and this, this is your first episode of the Jules Phoebe podcast, in which case, by the way, this is a Harry and Meghan stan account. Um, <laughs> you already know our standing. I think that Prince William's statement on it, which was very much so like, oh, well, because of Bashir falsifying these documents, we basically can't take anything that was said in the interview seriously. This contributed to my mother's paranoia. It made the relationship with um, my father worse. Like, da 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 This interview should never be aired again. William is driven by a desire to protect a crown that he is scared he might never get a chance to wear. Yeah. And I think that... The attitude is always, I hope no one realises how pointless we are. Absolutely. They're so pointless. And so I've had this whole like story running in the background. But then what really stood out to me was basically Prince Harry's documentary. I think it's just been released. It's called The Me You Can't See. And he's the executive producer along with Oprah. And it's basically a mental health series. And he's really opened up you know, about his family and just saying that there's just a cycle of emotional neglect and, you know, his father was neglected by his parents. And so even when they were having trouble as boys, his dad was like, well, that's how how it is. You know, I experienced it. You're going to go through it. And then he's also really open about the fact that my mom was always targeted. Forget this Martin Bashir interview. You know, he was saying that from when they were like young boys, they would be like in the back seat, seat belt strapped on, and just like press are just chasing them, chasing them. And he was like, there was no protection, right? So this didn't happen after that interview. This was her life from the beginning. And he was saying that, you know, she was especially targeted because she was in a relationship with an Asian person. She was in a relationship with someone that was not white. So he knows the things that were, that were you know, that were being said behind the scenes and everything that was going on around that. And that's always been a rumour, like, not that Princess Diana died because she was in a relationship with Dodi Al-Fayed, but that there was no way that people wanted her to settle down with Dodi Al-Fayed and still being a young woman, possibly having a child. Absolutely. With Dodi Al-Fayed. And in that same interview, Prince Harry goes on to say, when they were talking about Megan being exotic and her thickening up the bloodline like what a vile thing to say what a vile thing to have to have burned into your memory what does that mean thickening up oh because she's not blue-blooded I guess because she's just a commoner yeah but Kate is not blue-blooded yeah yeah no absolutely Kate's off Um, the streets (laughs) and it's so interesting to me to see now how the media particularly in the UK are gleeful about this Dyson report. You've got the mirror, you've got the mail, you've got the mail on Sunday, whatever, like all talking about, oh, BBC report, um, falsifying documents, Princess Diana betrayed, as though they don't also feed so massively into this cycle. So until Diana died, 
that they weren't doing the same thing. There was a really interesting article I read this morning on Jezebel talking about because of the time of day when Princess Diana died, all of the Sunday morning papers came out. So you had the sun, the mirror, whatever, the mail all being like, idiot Diana mortifies William. William asks her to plug her brain in, all of this kind of stuff, like that she was the brain dead princess. And then obviously within the space of you know 12 hours, the the news cycle's been rewritten. It's the people's princess. She's been lost. UK are in a state of mourning. But the myopia of being like, well, you are a cog in this machine. And I thought what was interesting was, you know, in Harry's or Prince Harry's statement, he said, you know, to those who have taken some form of accountability, thank you for owning it. That is the first step towards justice and truth. Yet what deeply concerns me is that practices like these and even worse are still widespread today. Then and now it's bigger than one outlet, one network or one publication. That ties into everything that you're reading about Israel and Palestine as well. Like, please diversify your news sources. Got to tell you straight off the bat, BBC is one of the worst places you can be going to. I always thought that BBC was a really kind of neutral propaganda. BBC is actually the worst. It's chronic. Yeah. The BBC is the worst, and so, and I don't support the BBC in any way. So, but I don't, I don't think it's um, legitimate to put the fall of Princess Diana at the feet of the BBC. No, so that's kind of where I kind of disagree. But like, I do not support the BBC at all. I think the BBC is complete trash lately, and and yeah, and for many years, and it's becoming more and more clickbait. It's becoming more and more right wing. And you said an interesting thing before we started recording that the BBC has kind of scapegoated Martin Bashir in this particular instance. Because when those things happen, they don't happen in isolation, right? Mm -hmm. When you do something like that, there are a few people that are involved. It has to be signed off. There is no way that something like this would happen and Martin Bashir would just be completely rogue. And if he was, he wouldn't have had his career for as long as he has, right? And so it's interesting that they've basically thrown him under the bus. But the reason why I do feel there's a contrast in how William and Harry are responding, whereas Harry's trying to hold everyone accountable. The rest of the press are William's mates. So he's not trying to hold them accountable. And I just give Harry so much credit, like coming out and being honest and being vulnerable in this way and talking about his mental health. And I haven't watched the full documentary yet, that he's even in session with his therapist and like that's included in the documentary, especially with COVID mental health. We do not see the repercussions of how people's mental health have been impacted. And it's important for stigmas around mental health to be thrown in the bin. And so whatever you think about Prince Harry, whatever you think about Oprah, and you've got other like famous people in this documentary as well. And people who are not famous in this documentary series from what I've seen so far, it just seems like a powerful piece of work that is really, really necessary. Yeah, I agree. I think that we have to be we have to be talking about the things that make us uncomfortable yeah. because it's only through talking about them that you get comfortable with that discomfort. And I know that yeah. that's such a trite, it's such a Dr. Phil thing to say, but I think it's really true. The first time you try to talk to someone about your mental health, it is probably going to be frightening. It's probably going to be difficult. But the second and third and fourth, it will just continue to get easier because you will think it takes more energy for me to conceal this. It takes more energy for me to lie than it does to just be like, this just is what it is. 
Yeah, exactly. And it's Mental Health Month in the UK. So I'm not sure if that's globally, but it's definitely Mental Health Month in the UK. And I've been very um, touched by people kind of sharing their experiences, obviously, you know, on Instagram, but like on platforms like LinkedIn, because I think that when you share it in a professional context, or when someone like Prince Harry speaks up about his life, which is meant to be the, the most privileged person and says, no, it's, it's hard for me too. Like mm-hmm. I have trouble to cope with things too. When you have people in a professional context saying, oh, I've struggled with this, I've struggled with that. I think it makes it easier for people because a lot of time people feel that they have to separate these things. It's not something that they can talk about. And if you do talk about things, it's not always going to be received well, right? It might be really, really, you know, it might just be received absolutely awfully and, and make you not feel great. But there are people that you can go to. And so, you know, and women, I can't I can't remember what the data is, but I think last time I looked, it was like one in five women experience mental health issues at some point in their life. I can believe it. I would be surprised if it wasn't higher. Like, Yeah, it might be higher. I'm sorry. I can't remember the exact statistic, right? But just given all the things that women go through, don't be surprised if you experience mental health issues at some point in your life, even if you haven't experienced it thus far, or you have a loved one who is experiencing mental health issues. So I think that I'm really appreciative of even someone like Oprah coming out and talking about her mental health issues. People look at it like, Queen Oprah, bulletproof, strong black woman. No, throw that strong black woman stuff in the bin, you know? Totally. So I think that's why I was really impressed with that. I think throw the the strong black woman trope in the bin, throw the stiff upper lip. Oh, bin, bin that. Bin, 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 bin. It's so weird to... And that's what Prince Harry's doing. Yeah, and I'm, but I'm impressed. And he said at one point, you know, that when he started on his therapy journey it was because he had an argument with Meghan Markle and she was like I think you need to see a therapist like again I really like Meghan Markle I think that she does the work I think that she is she puts her money where her mouth is I'm I'm impressed by her worth work ethic I, I I like her but also I'm impressed with Prince Harry and obviously that's like a section of an anecdote I'm sure that there was more nuance to it in real life but for your partner to say to you, I think you might need to see a therapist. And for you to be like, I'm going to go and see a therapist. <laughs> no, but it's probably a longer I know, longer you know what I mean? It, it, there are plenty of people who, I've dated people who need to see a therapist. Before I had yeah. therapy, I'm sure that I dated people who thought she needs a therapist. Yeah. But we didn't say it to one another. And if we had, I don't think I would have taken that feedback on board and said, well, that's what I'm going to do. Like someone's recognized this about me objectively. So yeah. That speaks to you as well about the power of like positive feedback. If someone's committed to you and to your future and they they see you and they think there's a way that you can be happier than this. Like there's a power and there's a love in that as well, I think. Yeah, I completely agree. And there's a lot of information that's being shared at the moment, a lot of research that's being done around how millennials have nowhere near as much wealth in their lives in comparison to like their parents when they were the same age. Black millennials are doing worse than their white peers, right? And so I was talking about this to someone. I said, yes, passing down wealth is really important, right? Because in terms of money, money is inherited, (laughs) okay? 
get this is how money functions accept like, it. get money because it's inherited accept it but I said it's also important to pass down good mental health it's also important to pass down good physical health and so when I think about you know me I'm taking care of myself yes because I want to have the best life possible but when you think about you know having a family when you look at what what Prince Harry's talking about which is that intergenerational trauma you know and he's like no I gotta break it because I've got my kids now So he took ownership of that and he said, I'm going to break this. That is the work that needs to be done, right? You can have everything. You can have all of the material wealth. If you don't have mental health, if you don't have physical health, you can't enjoy your life or you can't optimize your life in any kind of way. And so I think that especially this whole culture around like hustling, multiple streams of income, investing, Bitcoin, whatever, that's fine. Do your thing. But like, also invest in taking care of your mental health and um you know doing the things that you need to do to make sure that you're in good shape absolutely like it can't be all grind all the time and sometimes I have such spates of beating myself up because I'm like I just don't want to find another side project to be doing right now and that's part of the issue this will extend into another episode but that's part of the issue with work from home because we all deserve the right to have flexible working and then certainly as companies start to talk about moving back to the office you know we we need to start thinking about that but also it means that you don't ever get to fully shut off and that's a whole other conversation so yeah I know that we've we've touched on a broad spectrum of things today Please do share the podcast with a friend. Share your feedback with us. We'd love to hear what you think. And we hope it gives you some food for thought. Don't cancel us. Don't cancel us. (laughs) If this is the last podcast you hear, you know why. Thank you for listening. Yeah. Thanks so much, everyone. Bye. Bye.